Welcome to Education Conversations, where educators talk about the most important issues facing education. Our mission is to ignite your mission through the exploration of difficult and relevant topics. When we come together to talk, open ourselves up to new ideas, we come closer together as a people. Good morning and uh, welcome again to Education Conversations. Joseph Moylan here with uh, Dr. Corey Thompson. I'm gonna let him introduce our guest this morning. Um, Dr. Thompson. Good morning. Uh, it is a pleasure for me to introduce my new friend, uh, attorney John Hayden, who is going to be our guest today. And John tells a compassionate story uh, in, in a book, his first book. My first book. That he has published. And um, we are thrilled to have him with us today. So welcome, John. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. So one of the things that's really interesting uh, about this book that you've just published um, is that uh, your career was as a lawyer and, um, as, and, and your time as a lawyer didn't really necessarily deal with issues around racism and, and that sort of thing. So this is something that you came to later in life and you did some auditing of some courses at UWM in Africology and I'm wondering if you just share that story a little bit with uh, the listeners. Yeah, and you'll, you'll need to uh, do a cutoff because once you start me talking, you're no lawyers. <laughs> so please feel free to, uh, to, to interrupt. Uh, the book is I Was Wrong, uh, But We Can Make It Right, uh, Achieving Racial Equality. That's a mouthful. Uh, and I was wrong. And people in our country, I venture to say don't know what it's majority or whatever, but a huge number of our, our fellow countrymen are wrong. Uh, and the wrong relates to racism. Uh, I was brought up uh, in a fairly affluent family, upper middle class, I think you would say. Uh, no contact with black people. Uh, <clears throat> basically taught that black people were different uh, and that black people want to be left alone and that we shouldn't mix with black people, not that we shouldn't be intolerant. Of course, tolerant you know, implies superiority. Um, but my parents were, were good people, but uh, they were really, uh, they grew up in the early 1900s. They were born in 1892. So uh, my parents were a couple of generations behind me. So had, had no real contact through grade school, high school, was taught the, the whitewashed version of history, that the purpose of history was really to glorify all the virtues of our country. And none of the, the difficult parts did I see through high school. And in college, um, I, I, missed, I missed a lot. But that's when I had the first contact with black people, but I really didn't understand them. And my career was uh, serving people of means, uh, owners of corporations, and so on. So I had no real contact other than I knew that something was out there, that there was a, quote, black problem, or in those days, a Negro problem. Um, in those days, Negro was a very uh, complimentary word, not a negative word. But um, after, after being rather oblivious of the problem, uh, I volunteered at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission and became a counselor to uh, the very people that I didn't know. And uh, getting to know 
about their about uh, the problems of poverty and the problems of blackness, the problems of being labeled. Um, after 16 years working there, I learned so much and uh, really discovered that black people are just like everybody else. We all have the same concerns, the same desires, and that color is a fiction. Uh, so I said, this is a terribly complicated subject. I don't know enough about it. I really better learn about racism and learn all I could, could about it and what I might do about it. So I immersed myself in Africology courses and read all I could. Should I continue quickly? Because how that led to the book. Yeah. The, I didn't set out to write a book. It just happened and then got a life of its own. But I found that this subject was so complicated and so interrelated and so many subtexts uh, that I said, I, I can't possibly understand all this unless I start to outline it. So I started an outline. The outline led to a monograph, just a fancy name for, for this, but I tried to organize the subject. And ultimately the, the uh, outline became part two of the book. The book is really two distinct parts. Part one is the story of my journey, uh, of learning about this subject and learning uh, and gaining empathy and realizing that we're all in this boat together and that uh, race is a fiction, it's a creation. We're all of the same race, the human race, and we are all one. And why would we harm our, our brothers? So uh, a teacher said, as she read a reflection paper that I talked about my youth, she said, I think this is powerful. I think this is uh, worthy of your putting a book together. So that's how part one started. And then uh, the, the name was the goal of racial equality. And everybody said that won't sell. Nobody will buy a book that says the goal of racial <laughs> equality. And uh, so that's why it starts, I was wrong. Um, and then I did sat and some friends of mine started encouraging me to see if we couldn't get it published. And ultimately it was, and it is, this is a fabulous journey. It's a journey, uh, it's a story of a person who changed from being oblivious to a problem to being committed to helping solve it. And so just to be clear, your volunteering at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission and your time as a student at UWM are all post-retirement for you. Oh, yes. I, this is the year uh, 2000 when I started graduate retirement and I was in my late 60s. And uh, I, I, hap I happened to love school. I love learning. I love reading. And I've been reading law books for heaven's sakes. And here, here now I could read other things. And I, something said, John, you should not waste. The, the first part of graduate retirement was a 20% reduction. And something said, don't waste it. And so that's how I got on this journey at the rescue mission and 16 years of uh, obliviousness uh, reduced and my eyes started open. Every time I'm with you, I, I I have more questions because it's just such a, a delight to have a conversation with you. Earlier, you said that you were taught that black people were, you know, to be avoided and, and to not be around. And you also made a statement about um, 
during the undergrad years, like not having any contact with, with people of color. Do you think that those two situations, do you think that that's still perhaps, perhaps fairly normal in our society? that at, at the dinner tables in some households that it is it is directly taught or or, or or there's conversation around avoiding others you know are you concerned about our youth I mean quite frankly we we can't afford for everybody to wake up post retirement can we so how do we get to those individuals at a younger age this is this is our task and uh, this part of my mission um, <clears throat> I think younger people, excuse me, <clears throat> are far more tolerant than older people. But I think that underlying, and sociologists would have to help us, help us I think under the, us, there is still a strong, very strong underlying current of black people are, are inferior, which is a horrible thing. But I think that that, 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 that still exists. Um, we, we had a book discussion and uh, one of the participants said, oh, I think we should go to page 44. <laughs> so I did. And page 44 quotes some things that I've been told by people, um, such as, uh, and I'm quoting, this is a, a fine gentleman that said this, there would be no black problem if only they would get a job. Now, what a, you know, horrible. I mean, it's, that's taking all these interrelated problems and saying, here's a solution without any understanding of the barriers that black people have in our society. Uh, another quote, if they, if only they would appreciate the value of an education, the problem would be solved. And I suspect that there uh, is a lot of feeling in this, in this day and age that these aren't quotes from 25 years ago. These are quotes just a few years ago. Uh, so it's a considerable lack of understanding of how difficult this problem is, how the people don't start out evenly, uh, opportunities are denied. Um, so I, I think we have to continue to work on this. I think an awful lot of people would say, well, those are obviously wrong. But then, if that be so, why are we continuing to allow the current conditions to exist? And if you say these are wrong, but yet black people are are facing hurdles that are that are incredibly difficult. Um, so I I think things are a lot better. Uh, certainly after the civil rights movement and the legal changes are a lot better. But I think there is still underlying underlying attitude that is not recognizing the full humanity of our of our fellow human beings and that's tragic don't you you know in in your story john there's this message of otherness you know this if only they would get a job if they you know valued education this this notion of otherness and even in your life you know your perspective changes as you become in relationship with people who don't look like you and so there's this value, I think, perhaps it's missing in our understanding today and having relationships, exposure, um, living the, the fullest relationship with one another that we can, that separateness has not been to our benefit. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. We, 
<clears throat> we cordon ourselves off, you know, gated communities for heaven's sakes. Um, <clears throat> we, much of, many of us live in our own silos and the answer is constructive engagement with other people, no matter, and this groupism is of course uh, really a real problem. Uh, if you cast people in a, in a group and you say, well, all of this, all of these people in the group are like this. It's such a crazy, crazy fiction. But if you, if a person will get out and constructively engage with other people, they'll find that's not true. The group is heterosexual, hetero, whatever, mixed. Yeah, <laughs> not, heterogeneous. Yeah. Heterogeneous, not, not all the same at all. But you don't realize that until you have some engagement with, with people and you find they're just like you are. Yeah, and so in, in you know one of the things that you you, you talk about in the book is um, you know what what it is that what you know white people need to do, and you ground the reasoning in morals uh, and values. And I'm wondering if what your thoughts are about uh, the connection in our society still to the golden rule or to the common good, mm -hmm. and our understanding, especially in light of our heavy emphasis in this society on individual rights, mm -hmm. which seems sometimes to be very counter one another. Oh, I don't think they're counter at all. I mean, <laughs> maybe seems seem to. Individual individual rights and the common good is what I was trying to juxtapose. Well, the, working for the common good will increase individual rights. That's it. That, yeah, I mean, it's parallel. Uh, and I, I I think that there is a recognition that the golden rule and other ethical principles are are strong we just don't follow and our i think our purpose of of trying to demonstrate that it's in our own interest to follow these ethical rules you know if if society is lifted if if the common good is increased that will increase our own our our own value and and appreciation and worth um, I, I do appeal, obviously, to, to those moral principles, but I also, maybe this is just another side of the coin, uh, the hypocrisy to say we are uh, a liberal democracy and uh, all men are created equal and so on, and then don't practice it. Very, very damaging. And ultimately, I, I, I suppose, I would think society would fail because you just can't leave, you, you can't perpetually live a lie. What do you think the specific actions or activities that white people need to be engaged in to change our relationships and attitudes around race? And are there systemic approaches needed? Well, I think that that's, <laughs> I'll separate that into two questions. Um, <clears throat> my book is primarily aimed at the individual uh, because I think systemic change will occur because individuals start to understand what we're, what damage racism does. Um, I think, so, so my approach is, is primarily individual. My thought was, and maybe, and you never stop learning. This is just beginning of the journey. Um, my thought was if uh, a critical mass of the population understood what was happening, that they would produce the change. I'm concerned about, well, we'll make the change by some kind of fiat or government rulings and so on. 
uh, I think it's got to, I, I think it's basically has to be individual. So my answer would be as, a, as individuals, we first have to learn the facts. And that's the data that is throughout the part two of the book. I think we need to learn the facts, the facts of poverty, the, the facts of discrimination, the facts of unfairness in the criminal justice system and so on. We need to learn the facts. Uh, next, not necessarily next, but we need to relearn our history. It seems to me our history, at least the history that I was taught, and I, I find it uh, right up to, um, uh, well, it's in talking to other people, I think down to the, to the 30s, ages and 30s, 30s and 40s, people are still saying, oh, my gosh, I didn't know anything about the Tulsa massacre, for example. Right. <laughs> uh, horrible situation. I didn't know anything about it until I got doing working on this. Now, maybe my history was lacking, but I never had any teaching about, about the, uh, the Tulsa ma massacre. Uh, yes, I knew there was an there was the, the horror of the Middle Passage, but not in any kind of detail. Not until Africology courses. Um, <clears throat> there there was so much, well, and, and the the and the treatment of, of indigenous people, of American Indians. Uh, that story is horrific. Uh, we were not exposed to that. Uh, I, I grew up with uh, my first movie, 1939, uh, which was Gone with the Wind and Black People Singing, and they must have been happy. And of course, the, the uh, house servant appeared to be very happy. Um, that's a false narrative. And I, so I think we need to relearn history, the good parts and the bad parts. And I've tried to make a summary of some historical things in my, in my book that... Um, I've had older people tell me, I never knew that, John. Uh, one, one of the people that reviewed my book, who is a leader in this field, not, not that my book is so great, but she said, I learned things that I didn't know before, uh, both young people and old people, older people. Um, the important, importance of the year 1619 or the importance of, of uh, Juneteenth Day. I'm not saying that correctly. Juneteenth, yeah. Juneteenth Day. I didn't learn that until just recently. Yeah. Uh, so there's so much that we so uh, learn the facts, relearn history, then get out of our silos. Uh, we 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 are too accustomed to dealing with people that are just like us. Um, whether it's working with Asians or Muslims or black people, uh, people that are marginalized, uh, we have to start understanding they are real people and worthy people. Um, so my, my answer is I, I, I really, th my approach has been the individual approach and I've got to learn much more about systemic racism um, and what that means. I mean, yes, I know what it means and so on. And, in a broad sense, but how do you change systems? My approach is you do it from the bottom up, and I may be wrong. You know, one of the things that was compelling for me in reading the book was um, your your discussion about what it is that is the responsibility of um, white people and why they might have an interest to get involved. Because really, it comes down to, in a strong way, that um, the problem of racism isn't 
uh, people of color. The problem of racism is a white problem. And so how do you enlist people to get into this discussion? And I think it'd be interesting, you know, to hear sort of your, some of your working through that as you were writing this, how do you enlist white people to come on this journey? Well, I think you appeal to everything. Uh, you appeal to morality, you appeal to the uh, dissonance between what we profess and what we uh, act, how we act. And then I think you appeal to self-interest. Uh, and it's clear that it is in the self-interest of everyone, white people, black people, to end this problem. Uh, just the cost of poverty uh, rather than uh, productive labor is incredible. Um, the, and in the book, I go into statistics and, and so on. The, the economic benefit of, of people working <laughs> or the economic benefit of having people in marginalized groups earn similar compensation as uh, people who are not marginalized is incredible. Uh, the, 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 in trillions, and it's laid, it's laid out in the book, of just the benefit of diversity, uh, as, as we all know, and I've forgotten the name of the book, maybe you know it, and it's in my file, where <clears throat> the studies were if you have a problem that's presented to two groups, and one group of six or ten uh, college-educated people, all white, compared to the results of their studying a problem compared to a diverse group of people who have different life experiences, different, they're different uh, races, ethnicity, uh, education. This diverse group consistently outperforms the group that's homogeneous. I mean, it's, it's striking because if you, if, if, if you sit around the table and everybody's white, and everybody's college educated, they have a particular perspective. You put together a group that is diverse, they will, they will, their perspective as they work together produces a far greater result. And we're just think of the brain power that's being denied if you exclude. It's foolish. It's, it's, it's clear that we are cutting our nose off despite our face. It's in our best interest. I mean, Everyone knows that there's a higher there's higher um, uh, criminal activity if you're if you're poor if you're without a job uh, that that that's that statistic is perfectly clear so if you try to eliminate you know, it takes time it takes education it takes opportunity and so on but if you raise the the economic level of a group crime will go down it's pretty, it's obvious it's clear. And we all know that, but we won't uh, spend enough or dedicate ourselves enough to help reducing poverty. There was an interesting study I just learned about that uh, two two groups, and one both groups were very poor, very much below the the poverty line, and <clears throat> children. It, each group, the mothers were about to give birth. The one group was given $300 a month more than they had with no um, 
no restriction on the $300. And the other group was given $20 just to keep them in the, in the group. And uh, maybe you know, you know about this study. Uh, the, 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 the infants for one year, their brain activity was studied. And the brain activity of the group that had the $300 extra was far superior to the brain activity of the group that didn't. Now, something's happening there, isn't it? And this study will, will be continued. Um, we presume better food was bought, and we presume the rent was paid. I presume that the distress of the person in poverty was relieved. The, the, the distress of where is the next meal coming? Can I pay the rent? Uh, that kind of pressure was relieved and it translated to the child. Just the, the reduction in cortisol from that stress and yes. what it does in the, the family dynamic. And yeah, and, and that was uh, a study that I think was also um, tied to the impetus for the, ta the tax credit that yes. was just, yes. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Oh, I think it's shocking. And you talk about cortisone level and so on. My section on <clears throat> on health, the the wearing out of a black person that is treated as our society has treated him has an impact on his uh, her uh, physio physiology, and that gets shown in infant infant death in uh, deaths with one year between. Birth and a year. That's what is it? What's birth and a year between yeah. a birth and a yeah. year old? Yes, but there's a there's a name for that. Um, that and I'm sorry, I can't bring it up instantly. Um, but comparing uh, a white group, same socioeconomic status as the black group, the the children who die between birth and one year is like twice as high for the black group. Because infant mortality is what you're talking about. Yeah, right? infant mortality. Yes. yes, thank you for the definition. Uh, those statistics are incredible, and they're uh, they are proving that we that society is damaging human beings. And has been for a very long time. Yes, and that's that's terribly serious. I mean, it's 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 well, it's like killing people. I mean, it's in the starkest way and that the damage to society is is uh really that's why it's all so so many things are interrelated um and it how how can it be in our uh, collective self-interest to have that continue and you i think you alluded to responsibility and the responsibility is not to be apathetic the responsibility is to is to recognize the problem and then work for solutions and hopefully outline some hopefully some solutions that doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean it's short term it's longer term so corey i want to ask you a question about your experience with john's book um you know in, in the couple minutes we have left just your impressions from having read it it as an african-american male um you know reading someone who's written this what what did you walk away with you know, as cliche as this may sound, I will use the term hope. You know, I, I read it and uh, I was just, I was incredibly encouraged 
that here was this man who had this transformation and I immediately said I can I can support this being in the hands of as many people as possible and especially as a teacher educator as a as a um, professor of education charged with helping um, grow teacher leaders and principals I saw this as an important read as something that would help people go internal um, would go deeper um, I, I loved it as a as a book uh, I, I wanted to share you know in preparation for today John you shared this information with us you said continuing to learn is essential for example I'm struggling with critical race theory at the moment including trying to figure out how to diffuse the anger that has been generated and try to help people lower the temperature and have respectful dialogue uh, that's what I see this book as being able to do and so uh, I, I, I join you in trying to get this into the hands of as many people as possible and I would love to see it being used as a systemic uh, resource to help people have critical conversations You've been listening to Education Conversations with Corey Thompson and Joseph Moylan. Please leave us a comment about your questions that you have or thoughts about future episodes for us on Anchor. Thank you for listening.